You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Katie Womersley. She is uh, a VP of Engineering at uh, Buffer and co-author of Atomic Migration Strategy for Web Teams with O'Reilly. At Buffer, she leads the engineering team focusing on crafting productive, effective teams and delivering a world-class software product. Her writing has appeared in the next, the next Web, Inc. Magazine and Fast Company. She champions remote work and loves to help others flourish. That sounds really great, Katie. Hello and welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello, Andre. It's very lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, do you want to add anything else about yourself? One thing I would like to add, um, which might be topical for your listeners at this um, unprecedented global time of a pandemic, I have a guide to remote work that I've co-authored with um, Juan, Juan Paul Baritica, who is at Stripe, and a lot of other experts in the field. It is at holloway.com. You can find it there. And it is very tactical. It's got all the things that like you should do, awesome. all the tools, how to build the culture, like all of those questions on how to do the remote thing. Um, because I know a lot of you are in this situation and often it's really difficult to figure out how to do it and how to separate what is good advice from people trying to sell you snake oil on Twitter. Yes. So we try to be very thorough and evidence-backed and a lot of research go into it. So there's and that in case it's have, helpful. Yeah, and it's good to have information coming from people that actually do it. I myself mm-hmm. worked a lot remote, so I know it's not an easy thing to do. It takes another mindset. A little, right. uh, but it is doable and it's uh, an enjoyable lifestyle. I yeah. like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <laughs> and with that, let's get to the meat and potatoes of uh, the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be the biggest leadership success story you witnessed personally? I think for me, the biggest leadership success story um, would be that. It's seeing others succeed as a company grows. And this sounds very obvious, but I think as my um, role as a leader is to both help a company achieve its sort of business goals, because of course we're, we're all at the end of the day, you know, here to stay in business and doing that in a way that helps others um, have a more satisfying life, achieve more success in their careers. That's been sort of my, my biggest overall success. And in terms of the, you know, what does that mean, Katie? That's very vague. Um, so yeah. for me, that would be um, for the Buffer team, I joined at about 15 engineers at a time when we were self-managed and um, very much you know, early startup, trying to figure out what we wanted to be, what the culture was, and growing with that team as a technical leader and now the VP of engineering to a team of around 40 engineers with five engineering managers, having a supportive management structure, having an IC framework that allows for technical experts, staff engineers, principal engineers, um, and having retained our entire team through this period, made a lot of great hires and essentially growing the organization up, you know, from 15 to 40 in a way that people still feel really great about that retained the essence of our culture what we liked about it but that worked better for the size and scale of company we are today which is not a huge company but at 40 engineers 100 people you're not a tiny startup anymore yes. so, yeah 
Exactly. And it's, it's hard to maintain the balance between business growth and uh, people growth. And usually, as you said, it's, you have like culture changes happening because you bring so much new people that they bring their own impact. And sometimes the old team starts feeling like left out in a way. And it's Absolutely. hard and it's heartbreaking to see them yeah. because they put yeah. so much work inside the company. They actually ensured the the growth of the business itself. And it's it's sad to see them having to leave the company because they don't feel like they're a part of it anymore. Right. Or that they contribute or they're, they're not valued or yeah, that's absolutely so difficult. And it's something I see a lot of engineering leaders struggle with, you know, how do we bring our early stage veteran engineers along with a company that needs to grow up and add process and structure, you know, and often your early stage engineers are people that have a ton of context. They've built the whole product. They flourish when they have a lot of autonomy. Um, so there's a lot that's great about it, but when you just go in and add a ton of process and a ton of structure and like oh, everything's yeah. in Jira now, it's uh, they often just don't really, you know, feel valued mm-hmm. and often will leave and it's a big loss. So it's a big loss because they leave with all the knowledge they have. Absolutely. And it's not easy replacing yeah. well. No. And would you have some tips how to manage this? Because especially you, you did it like yes. successfully at Buffer from what you're saying. So what would be your yes. tips for achieving this? Yes. I think the most important thing is your veteran engineers are not the problem. They are the solution. What you need is for them to really understand where the business needs to go, where engineering needs to go to get it there and help them to have ownership over the change process. I think a lot of people approach it with a sense of, okay, this person is an issue because they want to do their own thing. They are a lone wolf. Like they, you know, um, never want to follow the correct process. So they're just a problem to be managed. And if you treat somebody like they're a problem, they're going to be a problem and leave. Of course, it doesn't work for every single individual, but in my case, we did have a hundred percent success rate here of um, talking to our veteran engineers and saying, look, you know, we do need to evolve um, this team and I want you to be part of that how do you think we can do that and consider different roles you know a lot of your veteran engineers might be better suited to teams that naturally have more autonomy like maybe they are really good firefighters put them in the infrastructure team where they can be a tier two response um, for pager duty and they can fight fires all the time and it's valuable and great and useful Um, you know or maybe they you know would be a good fit for engineering management. You know, they have a lot of context. They might be very experienced. Try it out, like see if they are good managers. So it's not just about saying, okay, you're going to do the exact same job, but your team looks very different. You have a lot less autonomy now. Um, Maybe you're going to need to evolve their job as well and find other places in your organization for them. And because your organization is growing, there's a lot more places that can be found. It's a very creative place to be. And if your team is growing a lot, really think about it. Do you need a security expert? Can one of your veterans do that? Is there something else they can do? What about, you know, somebody that is full-time dedicated to training and onboarding um, into the sort of tech debt that of course your early stage startup has accumulated. Maybe they'd be great as an expert for that. So I would encourage people to see their veteran engineers as part of the solution and really be creative in trying to figure out those roles that are going to be a good fit for their skills and still be useful in this new growing organization. 
Yeah, and I like how much you emphasize like communication, talking with them, explaining the new reality, what where the business is going, the new opportunities. So they realize, okay, so mm -hmm. maybe your old role is it becomes too restrictive for you. We have other roles. You can check them out. Maybe you have some passions, and it's all it all comes back to communication and talking with them. It's not just saying, oh, they're starting to be a problem. We should <laughs> marginalize them. God forbid somebody does that. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really good. And it, 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 it's especially if you have the opportunity to be one of the lucky ones to have a successful company, oh, this advice is pure gold. Well, I'm glad <laughs> it seems useful. I hope your listeners resonate with it, Audrey. Yeah. Um, now moving forward, um, what would be the biggest leadership fail you've had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Mm-hmm, yes. So the biggest leadership failure I had, and I mean, there, there, there are a lot, you know, like, you know, any leader uh, that feels like they haven't really made many mistakes, there's many. Um, but really, if I were to isolate like the single biggest failure, I feel that, um, that I, I had on my team was the first time I hired an external engineering manager. I was very nervous about the situation. And so okay. I hired somebody that I felt had the right track record that had many, many years of experience that was very confident in how to do things um, that had like a lot of process sort of like really nailed down. And I thought that um, this would be somebody who would tell me, okay, here's how we can do engineering management better for your team. That would really like know how things are and how they're meant to be. And it sounds good on paper. And I, you know, brought this person in, into the team and they had a lot of great advice. It was really, you know, wonderful in many ways. Um, but I noticed that I was very unconfident managing this person because I was sort of, okay, well, you have been an, a manager for many, many years. I brought you in for your expertise. So that seems fine. Whatever you're doing is sort of all right. And okay. I kept hearing increasingly challenges from the product team that this person is not flexible in how they work. This person does not adapt to feedback and it's very, very difficult to give them feedback during a retro or um, during normal team meetings about how we can iterate with engineering. They don't seem to be focused on problem solving. They seem to be focused okay. on implementing the same process that they've seen before that works. And uh, I so took a very a cookie long cutter time, approach. cookie cutter approach and not listening to like, what is the feedback from product um, and very much protecting the engineers from the product team. And we need to make sure that the engineering does what engineering is going to do in this cookie cutter approach. And product is kind of this mean people over there that always make our lives difficult oh, no. and really building. And there was, there ended up being this escalating tension between product and engineering yeah. and it, and my biggest failure there is instead of seeing like, wow, there's tension between product engineering that's maybe not healthy. I should check it out. My initial response was to be quite defensive of this person that I'd hired and to feel that, well, tension is a good thing. We brought this person in to tell us how to be better. If they are giving friction to product, like that's their job. Um, and to not really listen to what the product team was saying. And Honestly, Andre, not wanting to admit that in some ways, maybe I'd mishired, like maybe somebody that was like, this is how we're going to yeah. do things, um, wasn't 
functional for our type of company, our stage of company. Um, essentially maybe would work very well if you were making pacemaker software, but we make social media software. So we need to be more flexible and adaptable. These are things that I didn't, I didn't want to know because nobody wants to like hire somebody and bring them in. And especially like, this is your new manager. Like, I think they're going to be great. Like you should listen to this person. I trust them. And then be like, sorry, I was wrong. And I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. So I spent a lot of energy trying to figure out how product could be doing things differently, how the engineers could be doing, trying to like do everything I could to work around this problem rather than admit that the manager I'd hired just wasn't a fit for what our team needed and how our team worked. Eventually I came to the realization, it took me a year, I'm ashamed to say. And um, better late than never. Well, thank you. Um, And I then did do the tough thing. I let the manager go. I was then very nervous about firing a manager because how must it feel as an engineer when your manager gets fired for for performance? Like, would that be a culturally terrible thing? So anyway, I let the management manager go. And then it was so clear after I'd done that, that I'd waited too long and that it was the correct decision. And I only, I think I only really realized after I'd let that manager go. And then I started to hear things from engineers that were really worrying. Like we weren't allowed to ask the PM questions. We weren't allowed to speak directly to our product manager. Like there was a culture of fear where if we did something that the manager wasn't exactly what they said we should do, it was like going to get in trouble. And I was like, wow, that's wild. And it was very interesting for me to see how, that old advice that often when you end up, when you, you send something wrong, you hear a lot of feedback, you do fire someone. It's only afterwards that you think, wow, that was the right decision. Um, that was the case there. And I think with managers in particular, it's so hard because you can't just be like, well, let's look at their, let's look at their Git commits. Let's look at their code. Are they doing a good yes. job? It's somewhat black and white. Like, okay, you know, like this person's pretty productive, you know, um, it's like, is this person productive? How do you measure a manager's productivity? So in the absence of that, yeah, in the absence of that, you need to listen a lot more to your team. So today, what I do differently is I do much more frequent skip level one-to-ones. And I ask engineers questions like, not do you like your manager? Do you think your manager is good? I ask you things like, how much on the same team do you feel with other teams and your product partners? Like, do you feel like you're on the same team? And if they say things like, no, they're kind of a different team, I'm like, interesting, that's maybe a bit of a problem. Or who do you think your team is? And if they only list engineers, I'd be like, that's something to dig into because they should be listing their designer, the way we're structured. I would hope that they should mention their designer, their product manager, like, you know, maybe some kind of stakeholder if we're getting broader. But if they're only listing engineers, that's to me... um, an early sign. So now I have these much more specific targeted skip levels where I ask these questions. And um, since then, you know, I've brought in a couple more external managers and, you know, fingers crossed it's all gone very well. So lesson learned the hard That's way. Good. For sure. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> it's impressive that sometimes teams inside the company can have such hard borders around them. For example, I, um, have the experience yeah. of working uh, with a company that uh, you had like backend engineers that they were sometimes they were doing full stack work and mm. they could not go and ask uh, the front end team for help with the JavaScript. And it was, and actually wow. the JavaScript team was like, it was like a rule. It was against it and it was unacceptable. It, it was something crazy. I was like, wow, you're that working is- at the same company 
uh, you have the same clients. Why won't you help each other? And even like inside the JavaScript team, they want to help one project, help the other project if they had some experience with a new stack or a new technology or something else. It was like, how in God's name can you have something like this? Can you have this situation? But I mean, I experienced that happening. It was like, hey, do you think you can help us out with this? It's like, sorry, no, we have our own roadmap. Like we're trying to achieve our own goals. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we're all trying to achieve at the end of the day, like the The company's goals. Like, don't, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, Uh, What's the point if your team succeeds, but everybody else fails and the company fails? Yeah, like how does that help? It's like the JavaScript is great. It's like, does the backend work? Like, does the product feature work? Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You have these kinds of competitions and situations inside companies sometimes appearing. And that's one one job of a leader is to make sure that everybody actually cooperates and they work together. Mm-mm-mm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And and Katie, after all your experience, what would be your leadership philosophy? Yes. Um, my leadership philosophy is that people want to have a lot of impact and that work is inherent to living a good life and being a fulfilled and full human being. It's not that we're trying to fight against human nature or trying to coerce people into doing something that they don't want to do. I think that people flourish when they are having real tangible impact on things that matter to them. And as a leader, why that's my philosophy, why that's so important is because it is imperative to your company's success, to your success as a leader and to the well-being of the people you're working with that you realize that this flourishing of these individuals, it is the same thing as achieving the outcomes that you care about. If you're hiring yes. people that are fit for the culture, that care about the things your company is trying to do, um, and that find intrinsic motivation in their work. And if you work hard to create a workplace that respects this basic human dignity, you will have both a successful company and also a company where people flourish. It's not how do you be successful and still have a nice culture? Not at all. Or how do you have a nice culture? Um, you know, what about business goals? Like, is that somehow at odds? It's not at odds at all. Like people are long run, not flourishing and not fulfilled. If they work, doesn't matter. Like if they are just doing stuff, nobody cares about that has no impact. Um, that is not how humans are hardwired. Like we fundamentally, I do believe we want to have impact. We want to make the world a better place in some way that we care about. And so having a workplace culture that encourages individual flourishing for the people in your team is also a workplace culture in that sense that is going to have success in achieving that organization's objectives. So that, that is my leadership philosophy. They are one and the same thing. Um, And that's so powerful because I've never met a person coming, joining an organization, a company, having bad intentions. I'm going to go there and I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything. They come really enthusiastic. They want to do the job. They want to grow. They want to flourish, as you say it. But if they don't, they don't feel that the organization is is supporting them and helping them grow and flourish, then they start to make smaller decisions that, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. the whole thing, the the road uh, 
to hell is paid with good intentions. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's such a good point, Andre. It's like nobody really starts a new job being like, this sucks. I hate this place. I don't want to do this job. People typically day one, it's like, oh, I got a new job. They were interviewing for the job. That's a lot of effort. They put tons of thought into yeah. the recruiting process. Like they took a big risk in changing their life around. Like on day one of that new job, they believe in your company, they believe in the mission, and they're honestly excited to do this job and show up for work. Um, and then some somewhere along the road, like we all forget that, that fundamentally like people are opting into this. They joined here, they came here because yes. they want to do this job at some level. They believe in what you're doing. They think it's going to be mutually beneficial. And we start thinking, oh, okay, well, people don't naturally want to work. They just want to like get as much as they can out of the company or the company's trying to get as much as they can out of the people. And it's like, you know, that way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That way. No, lies. It's, usually it's not that way. It's, no, it starts yeah. on a really good note and then it's leadership's yeah. job to make sure that they inspire and they help that person to become even more, uh, Maybe fanatical is too much of a word, but <laughs> they have to become like, yes, I love this job. I love what I'm doing. I see yeah. the impact that I'm having. Um, yeah. It's like my, make it become their dream job. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, since we're time, talking about uh, people starting out or new careers for aspiring leaders, what would be the top leadership tips you have for them? Mm. top leadership tip for aspiring leaders um so just to clarify these are people that are not yet people managers um but want to be people managers i should clarify because yes. i believe that leadership happens at every role and for mm. for every person i know it happens. even if I you're happens a junior role. engineer so so we're specifically saying if you want to be a people manager what's yes. an aspiring tips yes. yeah let's go yeah. that's wrong Okay. Okay. So if you want to be a people manager and you're not yet a people manager and you'd like some tips of how to get there, I would say, try to understand broader than just your own work or your own team's work. Try to really understand what is helpful to the company or to the sort of broader environment. If it's not the whole company, maybe that's too big. Um, maybe more than one teams, try to really understand what's going to be useful, what's going to have impact and follow those opportunities. Make sure that you are looking at that lens of how can I actually move the needle for something beyond just me, beyond just my team. And that is in most places going to be regarded as really good initiative because you do something that has actual impact. And there's a lot of opportunities um, for engineers to do things that might be pretty quick. You know, maybe it's um, fixing some small bug that the customer service team has long given up trying to go on about. And you just realize, oh, <laughs> yes. actually, I, I know where that is. Like, yeah, I can fix that, you know, wrap it up. You know, essentially what you're trying to do is build a reputation for yourself as somebody who is useful and pragmatic to the company through the way you work. And then the second one is most people are going to promote people management or people into people management that they think have good people skills. Now, yes, this is a complex topic, but 
people mm. skills are completely learnable. If you feel like you don't have great people skills right now, or you feel like you're not sure how well you get on with your team, or you're worried at some kind of popularity contest, I don't know what your workplace is. Maybe it is a popularity contest. I think that's not great. But if it is, figure out what good people skills and being a good culture ambassador kind of looks like in your company. A book that's really great on that, that helped me personally a lot with this. Um, yes, I don't naturally do. think I have great people skills, honestly. Like I had no friends in high school. Um, if I can do it, you can do it. Um, so the great book, which funnily enough, my grandfather lived by this book. My father hated it. And then when I came to my dad and was like, I got this great book and I feel like it's going to change my life. He was like, you're kidding. Like, I can't believe it. Like <laughs> my father used to like throw that book at my head. I hate that book. And the book is um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It is, it's a little bit old. It's from the 30s. It might be a little bit dated, um, but it has a lot of really good advice on how to be genuinely helpful and how to get ahead in your career without being creepy, without treating people as like, oh, I'm just being nice to you so I can get something from you. It's like, no, like how to be like genuinely a thoughtful, good human with good EQ and good people skills and like function well in the company because you, you got to do that. You know, like if, if you don't have a reputation for having good people skills, you're probably never going to get promoted into that first management job. Um, and this is a case where like you need to build up that reputation and this book can help you actually develop good people skills and also be perceived as being, you know, a friendly nice it's a really good book yeah oh i'm glad you like it yeah as you say you know your listeners you might hate it my father hated it my grandfather loved it i love it maybe it skips a generation (laughs) so um (laughs) i do recommend it so they should find out if their parents loved it or not so they know how to (laughs) do a family poll (laughs) (laughs) and the third tip would be um, the third tip for aspiring, wait, did I give two tips already? Oh, I did. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I've given my two. The third tip there, um, I would say really focus on your own personal development and how well you take feedback, how authentic you are as a person. Um, do people around you truly tell you hard things about yourself um, that you might not want to hear? Do you get defensive because the minute you become a people manager, you have the power over somebody else's job to succeed in this role and to get better. You need them to tell you what are you doing well and what are you doing badly? It's very difficult to go to somebody who can literally fire you from your job and be like, Hey, by the way, you suck at this one thing. So it's almost impossible to get feedback and feedback is critical for succeeding as a people manager because you're going to make mistakes you need people to tell you like hey this is not working so well so really work on your own self-awareness and your ability to learn from others as a leader and do that before you're in a formal leadership position because once you get put in that position of formal power it all gets a lot difficult and people start telling you what they think you want to hear not what you need to hear they start trying to be nice to you to get ahead they start trying to like tell you things they think you want to know, but that's not actually the truth. Everything gets a lot murkier. So you need to really, really develop that skill of getting decent feedback from other people, having very low ego, making it very safe for people to tell you the honest truth, even when it's hard, because you need that to succeed. And if you have a reputation um, 
of being maybe a little bit defensive or maybe, you know, a little bit like invested in your own image of looking good. Like your new direct reports, they will immediately realize that you are an easy manager to manipulate. And they'll say, mm, Andre, so easy to be managed by him. <laughs> you just got to tell him he's the best. He's so smart. Like tell him what he wants to know. Tell him the project is great and he will promote you, you know? And that's the last thing you want. As a people manager, you want people to think this person is, you know, kind and fair doesn't really take any, you know, rubbish. And also um, I can tell this person when I think something's wrong. If you can get that right, you'll be generally thought of as a good manager and you'll get good results over the long term. But that means you've got to work on reducing your ego, all have ego, you know, um, and making sure that you can get honest feedback from people. Yeah, you, you need to build some thicker skin. And yes. because that would allow people to tell you stuff. And if you react really negatively when they tell you stuff they're, they're going to tell you like something minute the first time and if you overreact there they're never going to tell you anything else and you Absolutely. build that bad reputation like instantly almost because you need just with one teammate because they're going to, they're going to tell everybody in the team like <laughs> don't don't Absolutely. criticize don't talk negatively to him because he does not accept it yeah, absolutely. And it's so true that people will test it out with something very small um, and see how react to the small things. And then the other thing is you can do things perfectly nine times out of 10 times and your team will remember the one time that you messed it up. Yeah, like, that's true. And, and that's just how it is for people management. I remember reading that somewhere and I was like, that sounds really horrible and unfair, but I'm glad I read that because it was like, you need to take it seriously because the team will just remember that one time you made that one mistake and you know, Man, it's the hard truth. Yeah. And we also remember like the one, yeah. the one time somebody was mean to us more than all the pleasant times. Totally. With that person. Exactly. Yeah. It's how we're hardwired. And I it love is. that you encourage people to continue studying and learning and improving themselves. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. based on that, I'm really curious what is the one book that had the most profound impact on you? Yeah. Um, so the one there's besides a fiction how book. to win yeah. friends and influence. That's a good one. Yeah. I would say there's actually a fiction book that really shaped fiction. my attitude to life. Um, it's called Middle March by George Eliot. It's a, it's a classic book. It's very long, but it's very easy to read. And this had a huge impact in my life because it's essentially about it's the small interactions that count. It's how kind you treat the oh. person that's with you. It's how you treat your family, the coworkers sitting next to you. Like it's all the small ways in which you um, make the world a better place and make your life a positive influence on others. And for some reason that had a much more profound impact on me than business books really than um, anything that's like very grand because what we are basically is a set of all our tiny actions and no one action yes. is typically grand. Like most of us are not going to like set foot on the moon, you know? Um, it's a lot of small, small interactions that add up over time. And that book really kind of like brought that home to me and had a, a huge amount of influence on who I am and how I live my life and how I lead. And it's all really the same thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and now that I'm thinking about it, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's always the small small things that matter and they add up and build bigger yeah. things. Yeah. And create a yeah. contest. It's, it's really, really, it's like I had like an epiphany now. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I will actually and- read you the, the, the closing line of that book. Um, it says, okay. um, but the effect of the character, the effect of her being um, on those around her was incalculably diffusive for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who live faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. So you might think that you don't matter and you might think that your life is unhistoric, but that things are, you know, for me, Andre, um, you know, for us, that things are the way they are and not much worse is mostly due to the many, many small good acts that we maybe have never seen and maybe by people we have never met. So the unhistorical acts, they all build up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and uh, Katie, uh, mm. if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? They should go to Twitter. I am pretty responsive on Twitter. I tweet things. Um, I am at Katie underscore Womers, W-O-M-E-R-S. And um, yeah, you can find me there and, and ask me things. And yeah, I'm I'm here to help. That's great, Katie. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was really wonderful. I love the questions. It was a great show, Andre. Oh, yeah. And your response is really, really amazing. Love. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Alrighty. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye, Andre. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, You can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.